Good morning. I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters from across the ocean in Mavuno Church. And I, being an African, Africans tend to be a little more expressive, so I actually do bring you the greeting. I hope you can see it. Do you send me back with greetings to your brothers and sisters? Amen, amen. I will convey your greetings. Uh, it's such a joy that we can worship together, every nation, every tribe coming before the Holy One. Isn't that what heaven is going to be? And it's such a joy for me to come uh, to the place where I'm related to people. It's, when, you, when, you, when you come to know Jesus, you, you join a family of people across the world who don't even look like you, don't sound like you, but you're connected. And so I feel like I'm home among my long-lost relatives when I come to worship with you. And in heaven, we're going to be worshiping together. Look out for us, the Kenyans, we're going to be the ones dancing, all right? So that's, that's our corner there. It's a joy for me to be here with my wife, uh, Carol. Uh, we've been married 21 years, and she's with, with me today in this service. And so, I'm so it's such a joy to have her with me because we, uh, apart from being my wife and the mother of our three children, uh, but she also is a ministry partner with me, and we serve together uh, in the church and so it's a joy for us to be here and experience worship together with our brothers and sisters. Now today, uh, I want to speak about when helping helps, which is a very interesting subject because the implication is that helping doesn't always help, which is interesting because helping is really part of the essence of what it means to be a Christian, isn't it? Uh, Jesus says that we must love one another, and the Bible says we, we carry one another's burdens. So how can helping someone ever not be the thing to do? In fact, it's interesting because 1 John uh, chapter 3, verse 7 says, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in them? So helping is part of who we are as Christians. And so I don't actually think the problem is helping. I think sometimes the problem is how we help. And so I want to bring a word to you on this subject uh, it's a word that the Lord gave me from 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32 to 40. And I believe it's a word that will be relevant for you if you're helping, if you're seeking to help others across the nations, if you're seeking to help bring help to people in your own city. But I also think it's an important word for you if you're seeking to help people around you in your family. Some of you seeking to help your spouse or to help your, your adult children, or to help your aging parents. I believe there's a word that God has for you today as we read his word. And so let's read his word, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32 to 40. I'll give a bit of context when I get to it, but let me just read it uh, straight off. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, I struck it, and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, and I struck it, and I killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will just be like any one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who has rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him, a bronze helmet on his head, and David fastened on his sword over his tunic and tried to walk around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, 
chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. You know, the nation of Israel was facing the greatest challenge it had ever faced since it was begun. The nation of the Philistines, a seafaring, fierce people, had invaded their borders, and they were led by a giant of a man. His name was Goliath. And the Bible tells us, if you read the passage just before this, that Goliath was nine feet, nine inches tall. Now, I don't know if you've ever met anybody that tall. Chances are you haven't, because the tallest person in recorded medical history was actually eight feet, seven inches tall. So either this was a one-time freak of a person, <laughs> or they were so intimidated that he might as well have been 15 feet tall. I mean, it was just this guy who was just big, and they were all intimidated by him. And if you read the description, it goes on to describe his armor. They were scared of the things that he carried with him. He had the latest technology. And they're going to details, describing everything that he wore to the point that the weight of the tip of his spear. They were scared of this man. He had been a warrior since his youth. But then the worst thing was that the only person in Israel who was willing to stand up to this boastful giant was a young, untested shepherd, a little boy called David, who had no experience in battle, never fought or killed anybody, and he's the only one in Israel who had the guts to stand up to him. You know, when you looked at Israel, you couldn't help but feel sorry for them because they had lost this battle even before it began. You know, when I think about it many times, I think the church in Africa is often in this very situation. Surrounded by the giants of poverty and disease, violence, corruption, unemployment, lack of technical advancement, we are pitied by everyone else. And we've become the poster child for international charity. You know, if you are an international charity or a church or a national government leader and you want to show how compassionate you are, chances are in your poster you're going to have an African child somewhere. And for effect, you might even have a few flies around them just to show how badly they're doing. And this is just the reality that we are faced by such intimidating giants we are faced by such challenging, paralyzing situations that we've gained the reputation of being perpetually needy, ever receiving, never giving. But you know the sad thing, and when I look at it, when Jesus spoke to his church, he said, go and make disciples of the nations. He didn't say, if you have money, go. He didn't say, if you have the right technology, or you have the right strategic planning, then you can go and make disciples. He said, all should go and make disciples. And this includes the church in the global south. It includes the church in Africa. And yet, unfortunately, many times, the, the paralyzing situations that face us and the unintended help, well-meaning help of those who try to help us often leave us chained and unable to be everything that Jesus intended for his church to be. And you know, I find a very interesting parallel in the text that we, wrote, we, we, we read today. King Saul's response to the overwhelming challenges that were facing this young boy, David. 
was to help him by giving him his armor, giving him his staff. You see, this was not just any armor. This was not just any piece of armor. This was a king's own armor. Saul had a good intention. He only wanted to help. He only wanted David to succeed. He didn't want this young boy to be killed. And so he gave him his armor. But you know, the interesting thing is that the way he was trying to help could actually have gotten this young boy killed. Unintended, good intentions. But if David followed his advice, he would have died on that battlefield. You see, when we believe that the best way we can help others to overcome their challenges is to give them our stuff, to give them our money, to give them our resources, then we are opening them up to other problems that they didn't even have. And I want to share these problems with you. I, I can think of at least three problems we open them up to. And again, remember I say this is important for you if you're helping across the world, if you're helping in your city, or even if you're helping in your own home. And the first challenge we open them up to is a challenge of dependency. We create dependency. You see, today it's common knowledge that <laughs> well-meaning aid often creates dependency in the lives of those it was intended for. I remember a few years ago, a well-funded international charity, Christian charity, opened a clinic, a free clinic, in one of the slums of our city. And they had great intentions. They wanted to help. And what, what could be more helpful than that? Providing medicine to the poorest of the poor. I mean, that's the most Christian thing you can think of. But you know, unknown to them, our church also had a clinic in that same slum. And we, for years, had pioneered this model where we got people to volunteer in their clinic, and that saved us costs. And then we got uh, medicine uh, by buying generics at wholesale prices, so that saved us costs as well. And we're able to pass these costs down and come up with a, an, affordable, an affordable model of healthcare. But we soon found out that affordable will never compete with free. And for the next few months, we were struggling and doing all the best we could to keep our clinic alive, while everybody left and went to the free clinic down the road. And it did well. And people were treated. It was fantastic. People were really getting treatment. But guess what happened inevitably? The donor money dried out for that particular need. And the big international charity moved on to whatever the donors were interested in funding next. And so the clinic closed down. But you know what? The need was still there in the slum. And now people started coming back to our clinic, and we are left with two challenges. First of all, trying to revive a clinic that had almost broken down. But secondly, trying to help our people who now believe medicine was always meant to be free. <laughs> and it was hard because many of them called, they thought we were defrauding them. They said, how come we got it for free? How come you're charging me for it? And it almost destroyed the clinic. It created dependency. Dependency is bad. There's somebody right now with an adult child at home who needs to be saying amen. It's not a good thing. Dependency is horrible. And I'll tell you this, that there are many ministries in the global south right now that would close down if donor funding stopped flowing into them because a dependency has been created and they never will be independent. But the second problem, very connected, is we steal their dignity. When we just think that what we need to do is just give people our staff to help them, we steal their dignity. The Bible says it is more blessed to give than to receive. And you see, well-meaning gifts from the West have often le le left us believing that Westerners are superior to us. That, you know, the only people who can give are people who, are from a different, who have a different color. 
and have different, uh, they, they have, look at them, they have such great resources, we can never compete with these resources. And surely it must be their job to come and solve our problems. I remember once trying to, uh, uh, to apply for a missionary visa, and the Kenyan across the desk, when he, when he saw my application, he said, so where's the missionary? I said, it's me. He said, that's a lie, missionaries are white. <laughs> Government official, this is what he believed. He had never seen a black missionary, he didn't believe missionaries could be black. And this is just the danger that we create. You see, unfortunately, when I read the Bible, this is not what it says. The Bible says that God is a creator, and he created all of us in his image. And because of that, we are creators too. We are the ones who are supposed to come up with solutions to solve our problems, isn't it? And the minute our people stop believing they have solutions for their problems, you've left them in a place where they're less than what God intended them to be. You've robbed them of their dignity. And I like to tell our congregation that God has given the church in Africa everything that the continent of Africa needs to solve its problems. I like to say the reason the UN and the World Bank are in business is because, you know, Romans 8:19 says the creation groans in eager expectation for the sons and the daughters of God to be revealed. And I say the reason the UN and the World Bank are in business is because the sons and daughters of God have not yet understood their calling. They have not understood the dignity they have to solve their own problems. And I say to them, we need to take those people out of business because the church of Jesus has the solutions for its continent. Amen. Amen. Third problem. Third problem that we cause is we ignore their strength. Whenever we just give our staff to people to try and solve their problem, we ignore their strengths. We fail to see that the resources of those who have less material than us can also be, you know, it's interesting, they have resource. And those resources could actually be something we need. That we actually need what they have, maybe even more than they need what we have. It's a very interesting thing. That's what Saul's mistake. Saul, Saul looks at David and he wants to help him by giving him stuff. He wants him to become like him. The thinking is, you know, if it's worked for me, it must work for you. But Saul almost misses the problem. Two things are happening. Number one, they're different sizes. Saul is XXL, David is medium. <laughs> the clothes just don't fit. And I've come to the understanding that as long as we primarily rely on the resources, technology, models from the West to solve our problems, we'll always be hampered, we'll always be crippled, always be wearing somebody else's armor. But that's not the only problem. In trying to give his solutions to David, Saul missed on the fact that David actually had the solution to Saul's own problems. You know, David did not have the might, the strength, the, the height, the sword, the spear that Goliath had. But David knew how to use the one resource that was plentiful in his context in Palestine, smooth stones. And he knew how to use those. And he knew that as long as I have five smooth stones and I have my trusty, my trusty slingshot with me and I have the Holy Spirit, it is enough. And you know the amazing thing, when I look at the church in Africa, I see many smooth stones. We have some unique gifts and unique strengths as a culture that God has given to us that are a blessing, not just to us, but can be a blessing to the world. I want to share just a few with you. First smooth stone I see in my context is a gift of faith. You know, when you don't have stuff, you stop trusting in money or strategy. You start trusting in the power of God. And we have amazing ability to trust God for huge things. Our vision as a church, and I'll just give that as an example because I don't even think it's a, it's a great vision compared to many churches in our context but our vision is to plant a culture-defining church in every African capital city and the gateway cities of the world by 2035. 
You ask me, what's your strategy for doing that? I tell you, the strategy is the living God. <laughs> he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and I know he will sell some and give them to us so that we can do the work that he's called us to. You do it, not by power, not by might, but by the Spirit of the Lord. A smooth stone of faith. Another smooth stone we have is youth and energy. 50% of the African continent is under the age of 15. That's huge. And you know, we're going to have a larger workforce than China by 2040. And for me, I see that as a great smooth stone. You know, we're going to be able to send missionaries everywhere. You're going to be seeing us coming from every direction. Because there's that many of us. What a great gift for the kingdom of God and for, his exp and for the expansion of it. A third smooth stone is relationships. You know, we in Africa, you know, and I say Africa, Africa isn't a country. Africa is many countries. But speaking generally, Africans are very hospitable. And we do hospitality in ways that are just amazing. I mean, we, we have an obligation. We love to look after strangers. And what a gift that is. In our church, one of the models we use for planting churches, any person in our church who goes abroad, we pray for our people to get promotions and go across the seas. We say, your home is now the home of a church plant. And we plant churches by our people going. If you're a doctor, you go live in another country, we're going to start a small group in your home. We're going to send a church planter to you. We'll start a church there and you host us. And they say, amen, bring them. Amen. Hallelujah, what a gift for the kingdom. A, third, a fourth smooth stone is vibrancy. God has so blessed the church in Africa that it's growing faster than any church ever has in history. By 2050, every third Christian in the world will be from the continent of Africa. And that's an amazing thing that God is doing. A fifth smooth stone is simplicity. You know, it's amazing. Let me tell you this. When you don't have lots of stuff, you learn how to live simply. And we can live in places that are difficult for anybody else to imagine, and we will survive and spread the gospel of Jesus there. Those are smooth stones. And I believe they can be a blessing, not just to us, but to the rest of the world. And I share about Africa because that's what I know. But the point I'm making is that every culture in the world has smooth stones. Every place you go, you will find gifts that God has already put there. And that can be a blessing. Anybody you want to help, they have some smooth stones that God has given them. So the real question then is, how do you really help without hurting? How do you help while helping? And I want to just share uh, uh, four things that have been a real blessing to us that we've learned along this way. And the first is listen. Listen. You know, one of the strengths of the American culture is you are amazing at fixing problems. Wow, you are amazing problem solvers. I just, you know, it's so funny. We love to, to say one of the things we love to do when we come as Africans, the three places I love to go when I come to this country, Walmart, Home Depot <laughs> and Best Buy. <laughs> and I just walk in the aisles and I marvel at the inventions on those shelves. And you know the amazing things? I find solutions to problems I didn't even know I had. <laughs> you know, I'm walking and I find a gadget and I think I didn't even realize I had that problem. Somebody found it out, solved it for me before I even knew it. It's a great gift. It's a, wonderful, it's a wonderful gift that God has given you as a people. And it's a wonderful strength that you have to offer the rest of the world. But you know, it's interesting that our strengths can also be our weaknesses, isn't it? Our greatest strengths can also be our greatest weaknesses. And typically when Americans go out across the world and they find problems, what do they want to do? What are they being trained to do? Solve the problems. And so they come and many times you sit across a table with an American and you're having a conversation and you find that they're trying to solve you, to solve your problem. It doesn't work. 
By the way, let me just say, anybody who's been married over five years and has tried to fix their spouse, they will tell you, it doesn't work. Aha, uh-huh, I see some amens here. It doesn't work. You'll be so humble to realize you can't even fix your own kids, let alone people from across the oceans from you. And this is a thing, the danger of coming with solutions to pass on. People come with prepackaged solutions. We've got this. It works in our, in our context. Try it. And it doesn't work. So the first thing to do is listen and ask yourself, what are the smooth stones that God has already put in this culture? Because guess what? God went there before you. And their gifts he's already given to those people. And as you begin to discover them, you might find, oh my goodness, they have some incredible gifts that I didn't even realize because I was trying to make them like me. There's a parent right now who has adult children and this is, something is clicking in your head because God is showing you that, you know, they're not you. There's something in them that you need to discover. Listen. Join in is the second thing. After listening, join in. If you want to really help, find out what God is already doing and then join him. And it's an amazing thing to do. I remember one of my, one of my friends, I mean, in fact, one of the things I always say, when you, when you do join in, and I'll, and I'll explain that, when you do join in, resist the temptation to own the solution or to brand it. And I'll explain what I mean. I mean, I had a friend of mine who uh, was a chaplain for a, a, a rock group, uh, a, a great group that was doing some amazing work uh, from this context, uh, going across Africa, providing solutions, um, uh, and they were doing uh, water, pro- providing water for, for many poor communities. And so he asked me, what do you think about this? And I say to him, you know, uh, it's a wonderful thing. I'm so glad you're doing it. This is what Jesus would want his church to do. I loved what he did next because he asked me, how can we make this better? Now, that's a great question because let me tell you this. As an American, people will always tell you what you want to hear. It's a weird thing because in the world, many of us come from very hospitable cultures you never shame a person by telling them that's a horrible idea. I'm always amazed that Americans can be so straight shooting. They just tell you that's a horrible idea. We never do that in the rest of the world. <laughs> so, so when you ask us, does this work? We'll tell you, oh, wonderful idea, wonderful idea. <laughs> so always ask again, how can I make this better? So he asked me, and I said, well, I'm really glad you asked. And I said, you know what I would do? Let me first tell you something you may not have realized. In every African country where these people have gone, there are famous gospel groups music groups. They're already fantastic musicians that are known in their context. So here's what I would do. First thing I would do before I go and solve any problems, I would make partnerships with those groups. I'd find out what they're already doing. And maybe they have passions that they're already involved in and I'd help them with that. I'd partner with them in those solutions. But you know what? Maybe, Maybe they don't have that. And maybe God has already given me a heart for this water thing. So I'd find out from them, is this something you'd be interested in us doing together? And if it is, I'd go with them. And we'd dig those wells together. We'd raise funds together. But the most important thing, I would make them the heroes of the story. I'd step aside and I'd let them get the credit. Because you know what happens? When I stop doing it, because inevitably I will, that's not my country, I was just there to do something, I will have left a solution that continues on after I'm gone. These people, having gotten the credibility, they'll continue doing it after you're gone. Now, I'm not sure if my friend ever followed my advice. But I do realize that I was asking him to do a difficult thing because it takes a lot to step back, doesn't it? And let somebody else go ahead. It takes a lot. It takes a lot of humility to do that. And yet this is what it takes for us to really help while helping. The third thing, receive. (laughs) You know, it's interesting. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. 
But you know, the interesting thing, and, and I want to say this, I love about the church in this culture, and I think the church in the West in general has, is a generous church. And I believe that the Lord has blessed the church here because of its generosity. People here have a spirit of volunteerism, of giving that is unparalleled. And you've given and blessed the movement of God across the nations. That's a blessing that you have. But here's the thing I want to challenge you as well. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's why you're being blessed because you're giving. But you know what? If you don't allow other people to give to you, you don't allow them to be blessed. So you need to find out as you're having these conversations, what are your smooth stones? How can you be a blessing to us? And give others an opportunity to be a blessing in turn. Because it dignifies people when they realize they can be a blessing. I want to say this. When Pastor Brian spoke about plug-in and that curriculum in such an honorable way, oh my goodness, I, I would love to play that video of your introduction to my congregation. Because that, that is such a dignifying thing for us to, to hear people from across the oceans affirm something that has come from Africa and say, this is a blessing to us. That makes us feel like equals. It make us, makes us feel like we can also give you. And that's an, an, an amazing feeling when you can also be a blessing. When you're, when you're a blessing, you know you're blessed. And so this is what you need to do with those you're trying to help is say, what can you help me with? How, what do you see that you can be a blessing to me with? And allow them to actually speak into that. Walk that journey with them. You'd be amazed that they have gifts that could be a blessing to you. That their smooth stones could actually be what you need to take your giant down. The fourth thing is to share. We're blessed to be a blessing. The reality is God's gifts were never given to us for us. They were given for us to be a blessing to others. And so share. But notice, I put this one last, because the problem is if you start with money, it defines everything. This is, we always say in our culture, money is like premarital sex. When you enter into it, in a relationship with it, with a partner, and you just pour money into it, you define the relationship immediately. It distorts everything else in your relationship. So don't start with money. Start by asking God, what are the things? Because let me say this, the church in the West has huge gifts that God has given it, beyond even the money. Yes, there'll be a place for that. But there are many other gifts you can give. Sometimes what the people really need that you're working with is not money. Sometimes what they need for you is to find a, product, a market for their products. And they will help themselves. Sometimes what they need for you is to open your networks to them because they don't have those networks. Sometimes what they need for you is for you to allow others in the world, to network them with others in the world and allow their gift to be a blessing to others. And you will have left them much better than if you threw money at them. But share because this is important, and Jesus has called us to share with each other. I want to conclude by saying this. We live in unprecedented times. Because of the internet, and because of factors like the English language and other things, we live in a time when, for the first time, the church across the world can actually partner together for the advancement of God's kingdom. I believe that this calls for a different paradigm of missions, one that is not from the West to the rest, but one that is churches from across the world working as brothers and sisters in partnerships of mutuality and equality, walking together, you receiving from us, us giving and receiving from you as well, and together glorifying God and loving one another. It's amazing. God says they will know you because of your love for one another. And sometimes it's that mutuality, that equality that makes people say there's something different in the church because we don't see this anywhere else in the world. And I believe there's a great opportunity waiting for us as we walk this journey together. I want to invite you all to come and visit us in Kenya. Come and visit and walk with us because there are great things going on there. 
I want to invite you to visit Egypt and to visit India and to visit some of the places where these partners are. Don't just give your money. That's a good thing, but that's an easy thing. Make time to go and spend time and understand because I believe that as you do that, God will give you solutions that will actually be a blessing to you as well. Amen? I want to pray for us as I conclude. And here's the thing I want to pray for. I don't just want to pray for us as a congregation, but I want to also pray for individuals here because I sense there are some of us who are in situations of pain in relationship because maybe we've tried to fix that child or we've tried to fix that spouse or we've tried to fix that parent or whoever it is and there's been pain, even at work. And I sense that God would have me pray for you as I conclude. So allow me to pray for us as I conclude. Father, I thank you for the amazing people of Grace Church. I thank you that, Lord, in my experience with this church, I do sense grace, that these are people who live up to their name. You love this church, Lord. Lord, I want to pray for all who are here who are in pain because of their relationships. And Lord, I pray that you would teach them those humble gifts of listening, of joining in, of receiving from the other, and of sharing in that context. Father, I also pray for this amazing church. I want to pray, Lord, because I know this church has had a great and illustrious past and history. But Lord, my conviction is that the best is yet to come. You have amazing things that you intend for this congregation around the world. And so I pray for them that, Lord, you would empower them, that you, your spirit would fall upon them, that, Lord, you would give them such a grace to engage across the world in the great things that you are doing. And I pray that, Lord Jesus, as a result, we in our part of the world would hear the amazing things happening in Grace Chapel. And we will give you glory because of our brothers and sisters. And so I speak this blessing over them, Lord, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And God's people say, amen. Amen. amen.